Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning and a bunch of other places. What I want to do over my next few sermons is I want to talk about um, different roles or titles that Jesus has and how we relate to him through these roles or titles. All right. And so the sermon series is called Teacher, Master, King. And these, this isn't all of them, but these are significant roles that Jesus plays in the universe, in the church, and in our lives. And so we're going to tackle each one of these in order, starting with teacher. My goal for this morning is to convince each one of us to be saying to ourselves, Jesus is my teacher. He's my teacher. Jesus is my teacher, and I'm his student. That this is an identity issue. This is a life identity issue. Jesus is my teacher. He tells me what to think, how to think it, how often, with who, how high. He's my teacher, and I'm his student. It's a relational issue. Jesus is my teacher. I'm his student. That's part of how we relate together. So let me read for you Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, and then I'll pray. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Father, I am so grateful for this morning. Father, I'm grateful for communion and just watching everyone come to your table and uh, my heart fills with love for your people and for my brothers and sisters here. Father, more than my emotions, God, you really love your people. Father, you said that the greatest expression of love that is possible, whether a human expression or even a divine expression, would be for the Father to send his Son to die for his enemies, which is exactly what you did. There is no greater love than what you've given us through Jesus. And Lord, you have given us Jesus to be everything to us. Father, I pray that you would help me to teach well this morning about the role of teacher in Jesus. I pray that you would give me everything my mind and my heart and my mouth need to be a faithful servant, to speak the oracles of God. Lord, more importantly, I pray that you would touch every heart here. You'd bring the presence and the conviction and the understanding and illumination through the Holy Spirit so that we could really hear what you're saying and respond to you how you want us to. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Jesus is my teacher. I'm his student. Jesus has many titles, all of them earned. But the, the title of teacher is actually one of the most common labels he was given in his earthly ministry. It's how most people related to him. So his disciples would say to him, often teacher. Strangers would come up to him and say, good teacher, and even his opponents, when they're trying to trick him and trap him in his final days, would call him teacher. The reason he got called teacher so much, or so often, was because that was his day job. That's what he did most of the time. He was teaching. 
Yes, he worked miracles, and yes, sometimes he walked on waters, and he told storms to shut up, and sometimes he walked out of a grave. He did lots of things, but his day job was as a teacher. He gathered disciples, and disciple is just a word um, from the Latin word discipula, I think it's pronounced, which means student. So he would gather students, and they didn't have kind of a come to the class, sit down for six hours, go home kind of situation. It was usually... um, There was kind of two different scenarios where he would kind of come into a town and teach for quite a while and then move on to the next town. You may remember that. He said, I have other places I need to go to. They'd say, no, stay here, stay here. No, I'm traveling around teaching the town. And then some people would also attach themselves to Jesus. He would call them to be his full-time students, and they would just live with him. So different teaching styles and relationships, but this was the main thing Jesus did. He was a teacher, and people recognized that, and that's how they addressed him. And Jesus did many things to teach, but predominantly he would teach by speaking. So this passage that I read from Matthew 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So it's like three solid chapters of just Jesus talking. And sometimes he would gather people to himself and he'd just say, sit down, this is going to take a while. And he would just start teaching. He would teach about the law, he'd teach about life, he'd teach about current events. He would just do that. He would be a lecturer. Other times he would teach by modeling and by example. You might remember the foot washing at, um, near the middle of the Gospel of John. After their Passover meal, he gave his disciples a foot washing, and he said, did you see what I just did? They said, yes. Do you understand it? Kind of. Okay, you do the same. And so he would either, by word and deed, he was teaching them all the time. And so he is a teacher, and he is the great teacher. Um, what kind of teacher is Jesus? I think the first and most important thing to know about Jesus' teaching role is how authoritative he is as a teacher. What great authority he has. Okay. Um, think about this passage I just read. He talks for three chapters to these people and he talks about a lot of things. Anger. Uh, lust, taking oaths, relating to your enemies, how to pray, how to fast, how to give. Um, And he goes on from there. He talks about pride and hypocrisy. He talks about tons of areas of life. And then he says to them, if you listen to my words and obey them, you do what I say, your, your house will stand. And the storms of life, many of them sent by God himself, if not all, will bash against you, but you'll stand. However, if you ignore my words, you'll be destroyed. And when Jesus is talking, he's not just talking about the next 30 years of your life going down the tubes. He's talking about your life now and your eternal life. If you ignore me, you'll be destroyed and forever. That's a, that's a lot of authority, Okay. That's, that's a lot of authority. Even, even when I went to university back in the day, um, my teachers typically only had the authority to fail me in one class. And that was it. I could leave and I maybe got a bad transcript if, if that happened, but it's not like they could follow me home. And it's not like they were going to be there at my funeral or my existence after my funeral. Very limited authority. So... That's, that's cra- that's, this is crazy. We kind of need to hear this. Because if you're, you're at the bus station or at the airport and some dude came up to you and 
he's kind of been preaching out in the corner with a little hat in front of him. And, um, and he comes up to you and he says, I'm going to tell you a secret. You're like, creeped out already. And he says, and if you listen to what I say, things will go really well for you. You'll be rich and forever. But if you don't listen to me, you're going to die. How would you respond? Security! You know, right away, you just feel like, I'm going to go buy you a sandwich. And you just run and be like, police! It would creep you out. Because we, we, we just, we don't usually treat people like they have the right to come and tell us that their words are everything. All right? But here's Jesus without any shame or without any guile, without any... He's just saying, no, this is the reality. And when the people heard him talking like this, the scripture says this, and when Jesus had finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribe. So their experience of Jesus talking like his words were going to judge their lives and their eternity, their experience wasn't, what a kook. Their experiences were, nobody has talked to me like this before. I can feel the authority. When Jesus looks at me, I know that what he's saying matters. And maybe I'm like wanting to respond by rejecting him, or maybe I want to bow down to him, or whatever it is, but they felt it. And they didn't think, weirdo. They felt it. The authority of Christ as their teacher. And the interesting thing for me is that Jesus, even though he's speaking with so much authority, saying, my teachings will judge your life, he doesn't do it like as a big ego trip. You know, Jesus even says about his own mindset, his own mental landscape as a teacher in the world with authority in the Gospel of John, he explains that he doesn't even feel like it's about him. This is what he says. He says in John 12, verse 48, he says, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words, okay, so he's talking about his teaching ministry, has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So this is Jesus' inner workings. This is Jesus talking about how he thinks about what he's doing. He's saying, look, when I get up and I'm Sermon on the Mounting, when I'm telling people this is the way, this is not the way, how to live, how not to live, I'm not up there trying to tell people how smart I am. I'm not trying out there saying, look at all these great discoveries I've made. He's saying, my Father taught me what to say. So I'm just here saying what what my father said. And my father is the creator of the universe and the creator of all people and the judge of the world. And that's why my words are so important. But even at the end of time, I don't even have, it's not even about me, whether you listen to me or not now. My words themselves have authority because they come from God the Father. So this is, this is Jesus' mental scape. How can he stand in front of people and say, look, if you ignore me, you're dead. The reason he can do that without laughing or smirking or feeling awkward or, or anything is because he just he knows that his words come from God the Father, the source of all things. Amen? 
And the, the interesting thing, do you see how Jesus is sort of saying, my words come from the source, that's the Father. Um, and then he's just kind of relaying them. Effectually, this means that this counts for preachers too. Amen? Maybe wait until after I've explained myself before saying amen. Jesus' attitude is, as I faithfully relay to you the words of my Father, and your life will either be steadfast or fall apart, depending on how you believe what I say. Okay, those words were spoken in time, and then the disciple, Matthew, who heard these words, wrote them down, and then therefore his words have those same authority. Your life will rise and fall by how you respond to Matthew's gospel. When a preacher gets up and he faithfully preaches God's word, when he faithfully relays Jesus' words, then your lives will also either be stable or fall apart, depending on how you respond to me this morning. As long as I'm being faithful to what Jesus says, his authority is here. Because I just need to trace it back. I'm just saying what Matthew wrote. He was just saying what Jesus said. And Jesus just said what God the Father taught him to say. So as long as I'm being faithful, and it is my mission to be up here speaking the oracles of God, like Peter commanded me to do, this is God talking. This is God teaching. This is God relaying information to be received and believed and by the grace of God internalized and responded to. One of the ways you can tell that Jesus takes teaching really seriously is what he thinks about false teaching. Uh, the Bible's really, just give me a little excerpt here, okay? I'm going to step out here. This is really interesting to me. The Bible very rarely goes into details about what false teachers say. I'm often frustrated by this because, you know, Paul will be saying, some teachers are false teaching, or Jesus will say, don't believe those false teachers. And then you're like, well, what were they teaching? And they never tell you. Almost never. Never tell you. How am I supposed to do my job? And I think the reason why they don't go really big into the false teachings is because it's really simple. They just say, well, believe what Jesus teaches you, believe what I teach you, and whatever's disagreeing with that, that's the false teaching, okay? So you don't, you don't actually need to know every single disease in the world in order to be healthy. You just, you know, exercise, eat lots of broccoli, go to bed on time, you'll be fine. You don't actually need to know what, like, staphylococcus is or whatever that is. Did I get it right? Pretty good enough? Okay. You don't need to know the Latin name for every disease in order to be healthy. You don't need to know everything that could go wrong with you in your life in order to, to walk with Jesus. You just need to know Jesus and listen to him as your teacher. And th- there you go. And whatever is getting in the way of Jesus' teachings... Okay, I'm back. The interesting thing about Jesus and how seriously he takes his teaching role, the, the one who's conveying true truth the one that's telling people how it really is with God and the world and humanity and all this stuff, is how, he, how much he dislikes false teaching. So even in the Sermon on the Mount, just a few words before Jesus saying, you have to build your life on what I'm telling you, he says this, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. 
So even while he's teaching them, he's saying, look, guys, I know there's going to be a lot of people teaching other things besides what I'm teaching you. And they're going to come. They're going to look good. They're going to sound good. You need to judge them by whether or not their lives look like what, how I'm telling you to live. And if they're not, they're not human. They're wolves. Which isn't a compliment. Let me give you another instance, because this really blows my mind. If you would like to flip over to Revelations chapter 2, you may remember Revelations starts off with John meeting Jesus in his glory, falls down like he's dead. And then Jesus wants John to send letters to churches throughout the Mediterranean area on his behalf. So do you see it again? This kind of relaying of Jesus' teaching ministry, Jesus in heaven giving John a revelation, and John's supposed to write the letter to send to the churches. So there's, it's not just, Jesus doesn't just show up to the church and be like, I want to say something. He, he chooses to relay through an apostle. And I'm, so I want you to see that. But he, he's talking to the church in Pergamum. And the church in Pergamum is a church like Calvary Chapel. It's a church under the New Testament. It's a church worshiping the risen Jesus. It's a, it's a church very similar to us. They spoke a different language. They probably would have different things for FOSPA than we would, but they probably had FOSPA. Lots of those cultures over there knew how to do manana, knew how to have a nap in the afternoon. So we got a lot in common, and especially we call Jesus Lord. That's the most important thing you can have in common with anybody. All right? That, that is the biggest thing. So even when you're reading scriptures from 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago, if you have faith, you have the most important thing in common with them. You actually have a lot in common. Okay? This is what Jesus was saying to them as a church. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Okay, so he starts off with a compliment. You guys are holding fast to me. Fast to me. You're not running away, even though there is someone from your church who was murdered for my namesake. Okay, so that's a compliment. That's a commendation. You guys are holding fast to me. Now, here's the criticism. But I have a few things against you, okay? This is where the church starts feeling nervous. Uh, when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, starts saying he has things against you, it's time to listen. It's, he's in teacher mode, and the test is coming. Will this be on the test? Everything's on the test. Will this be on the test? Yes. A few things I have against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual, sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Okay, how serious is Jesus' teaching ministry that he wants it faithfully replicated in the church? How much does he, as the true teacher, dislike false teaching? He says to a church that's mostly faithful, if you don't put a stop to the false teachers in your midst who are teaching people to eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality... I will come to you and war against them with the sword of my mouth. 
Okay, when Jesus sees long-term false teaching in one of his churches, he takes off his teacher hat, he puts on his conqueror's helm, sharpens his sword, gets on his armor, gets on his horse, rides down from heaven to deal with it. Important to Jesus or not important to Jesus? Teaching in the church. Okay? When Jesus says, I will go to war, everyone should start shuddering right now and be like, how can we fix this before? Because war is always, is always messy. Okay? War, war is always messy. It's always, it's, it's a mess. So, all I'm trying to do is, is, is give the point, Jesus is the true teacher. And when he teaches the church, he wants us to hold fast to it. And when false teaching comes and it makes inroads into the church, it bugs him. There isn't grace for that, if I can put it like that. He doesn't, he doesn't shrug. There are things that Jesus doesn't care about that much. Jesus, what do you want me to wear on my feet for church today? Rob, come on. Not that important. As long as it's not those flashy high-top Nikes. I don't have some of those. Do you know, what should I have for lunch today? I'm sure Jesus could, get, to, could lead me, provide for me. The important thing for me, for him, is that I glorify him with what I eat, and then I'm ready to share it with people. But what we actually have, false teaching on the other hand, it gets his war on. Do you want to be in a church where Jesus is going to war against people in that church? So... And I'm, I'm emphasizing, this is New Testament. This is after the resurrection. This is, there's nothing's changed between these words and the world we live in now. He goes to war against prolonged, undealt with false teaching in the church that produces lifestyles that reject Jesus and our idolatry. All right. So, so far, I've just been trying to say, what kind of Jesus teacher is Jesus? He's a really authoritative teacher. Um, he takes himself seriously, takes us seriously. I want us to look at Jesus and say, I want Jesus to be my teacher. So let me just start pointing towards what kind of Jesus, teacher Jesus is. Okay, Because we've all had different experiences of teachers. Can you think of, of, a, of a good experience you've had with a teacher? Maybe someone from your childhood or from from high school years that really impacted your life? Because they do. Now, teaching isn't just about information relaying. Usually there's this like life-on-life character absorption. You kind of become like them. I remember um, there was this one math teacher I had when I was in university. And in order to graduate, you needed to take at least one math class, which was a real, like, I was an English major. It's like, come on, what, you want me to flunk out? Why don't you love me? And so I had to take this one math class, and I saved it right for my last year. I was just putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And, and I ended up getting into it. It was called fin- Finite Mathematics with uh, Dr. Hare. And it actually ended up being really cool because finite mathematics is the math of like figuring out probabilities. Like if you had a coin and you flipped it 10 times, what, were the, what would be the chance of it landing heads every time? And it's like, well, I could tell you that. You just, no, 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 you draw the chart. And so it was actually interesting-ish for math. And um, bless you, math lovers. I love you, and I'm so glad God made you. And but I don't have that gift. 
But anyhow, the funny thing was the the teacher knew that 90% of the people in the class were were not math people and they had to be there. And so he kind of put on this persona where he joined in in complaining about how boring the math was. It was really funny. He'd be like, oh, okay, then you do this. And then it turns out there's only like a one in 7,000 chance of getting that 10th head but this is boring and you guys don't care about this. And everyone would laugh. And it was just such a great experience. Like, and you're learning from someone who's cooler than you. And it was, just, it was just great. It was just great. And so he built this rapport. Um, and so it really helped me learn. I actually did way better than I ever thought I would. But there's other aspects of teachers that can be really great, especially when they're demanding teachers. Okay, I had this other professor and he had the nickname Dr. Death. All right, so I don't know what you actually have to do. It sounds like a superhero villain, you know what I mean? Like Batman would come swinging in and batarang him in the neck or something like that. But um, his name was Dr. De- Death because he was so hard. And I, I would go home from school with this other professor because we lived in the same town. And he asked me how class was going. I said, yeah, I got a B-plus on, on an essay for this professor. I won't name names. And he said, you got a B-plus from Dr. Death? You can do anything. Now, this is one of the professor's colleagues who said that. So it's like, this is how firm his reputation was. But there was something about him being hard, and everybody knew that he was hard, that brought out the best in me, because he was kind of demanding. Do you know what I mean? So there's different experiences. Some teachers are really good at building rapport and love, and some teachers are really good at bringing out the best in you. And, and Jesus is all these things and more. He's the best of 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 the best. You know, he's, so let me tackle those in opposite order. Um, he's a teacher who is determined to bring out the best in us, and, and he does this by focusing primarily on our hearts. Okay? Jesus is the one who says, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So yes, I listen to your words, but I know that your words come out of your heart, and I care about your heart. Jesus is the one that said, you've heard it said before, you shall not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if anybody even looks lustfully at a woman, he's already committed adultery. Where? in their heart. And that's where the problem is. It starts in the heart and it comes out through the rest of your body. And so he's, he's, a, he's a teacher who cares about the heart, which is, which is wonderful. It's, but it means it's a high standard because he wants to transform us. He wants to bring about a Christ-like life from us. He wants to make us just like he is. And so that's the kind of teacher he needs to be. If you're a history teacher, any history teachers in here so you don't feel picked on? Okay, great. If you're a history teacher, um, you're kind of teaching for the test, right? And in order for your students to do well, all they need to know is the date of the War of 1812 in order to get the check mark on the test. When was the War of 1812, everybody? All right, 100%. Well done. Uh, my work here is finito. And, um, but, you see, but you see, it's like a lot of data retention or remembering who the main characters were, remembering what happened and thinking about the social situations or whatever. And then if you can just retell it with understanding, history teacher, well done. It's a little bit different with an auto mechanic, right? If you're in auto mechanic school, um, it doesn't work just to say, well, that's a hubcap and that's a rotor and that's a caliper. And these are, you just name the parts. You actually have to be able to diagnose what's wrong take things apart, replace the broken bits, put it back together in such a way that someone can drive their car out of your shop and not die. I mean, and keep driving it. Sorry, but you know, you think about the... That's the level of teaching that an automotive teacher has to get to. You have to not only know the information, but you actually have to be able to do the work 
on the car in order to make it work elsewhere. And same thing goes with doctors. Okay, I'm going to pick on doctors because I love them, every single one of them. Um, if you had a doctor, a surgeon, okay, and you knew from medical school that they got 100% on every single written and oral exam, they could name every single part of the body right into the depths of the cellular, molecular level or whatever. They could tell you everything. They could name it, name it, name it, name it, name it, name it, name it. And they could describe how it all works together. But whenever they had someone on their surgeon's table, that person bled out and died. Would you be okay with that? Would you be, ref- be okay with being referred to that doctor? And the doctor could say to you, look, I've got all the tests. Look at my scores. 100. I got the G- Governor General's Award when I graduated. And you would just respond, the kill count. The kill count is too much for me. You know what I mean? Maybe you should become a mortician. I don't know, but... There's different levels of teaching, and there is no teacher who is more committed to making it count than Jesus Christ. Taking the information, turning it into transformation so that our lives actually change to look like Jesus. So he has ridiculously high standards in one sense. Don't get worried. It's okay. But we need to know that. Jesus' commitment is him coming out of our hearts that's, his, that's the level of teaching accomplishment he wants. Not just the data, not just memorizing Romans 8, not just being able to describe the Trinity. He needs, his mission is to teach us until he comes out of us, from the heart. And he's also, so he's got a really high standards, but he's, he's the best teacher you would ever want to have to have high standards because of the cross. All right? Because of the cross. So Jesus lived this life in these, these around three years of ministry where he taught all the time and he demonstrated the kingdom of God through his life and he acted out the gospel. And then he did the most important thing ever. He went and died because everybody falls short of what Jesus taught and modeled. Okay? Romans says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've we failed. Sorry, we failed. Just to let you know, if you're a human being, you failed. Yeah, but I'm really trying. Yeah, but you'll still fail without Jesus. Yeah, but, 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 but I've gotten better. But if it's not Jesus doing it, you fail. It's the nature of sin in us. God's testimony to us, and we often reject it, is that the sinful nature in our hearts actually inclines us to be God's enemy and to reject really doing what he calls us to do from the heart. Sometimes we will try to do what he calls us to do superficially. We'll try to make it look like we're, we're obeying, you know. You slap on your Sunday smile. Hey, Pastor Rob, looking good, great, you're doing great, the church great, everything's great, great, great. And in your heart, you're, you're a mess, you're, you're a rageaholic, you're taking things into your body just to make the pain go away, you're clicking on things to try to make the pain go away, your family life is going down the tubes. Everything's great, everything's great, I'm going to break, we do that. We try to look like everything's okay. But Jesus is a, is a teacher of the what? Of the heart. So if your heart's not right with God and your heart's not good with Jesus and your heart's not doing it, someone, someone had to pay the price for this. Um, one of the 
the greatest kindnesses I ever had in university was my first English paper I ever wrote. I totally failed it. And it wasn't even a close call. It was a massive failure. And, and I was stunned because in high school I had, I was like an English major and I'd done like advanced placement English. So I thought I was really good at it. And then to get back an essay saying you're actually a failure in English stunned me, shocked me, pierced me. And so I took this paper to the teacher who had failed me and, and I said, what, what's wrong here? And he, and his response was something like, um, well, this word is spelt wrong and this punctuation is terrible and some of your sentences don't end and some of them never actually got started and I don't understand half of what you wrote. That's what's wrong. And my response was, of course, oh, that. <laughs> it was just bad. It deserved an F. And what that did for me was it told me something needs to change. Okay? So here's my teacher exposing that I'm a failure at my English fine or my English paper so that I'd be like, I would come to him and want help and try to get help. And this is exactly what happened, except in the cross, it is a hundred million billion times better. Because my English professor could not crawl into my soul, could not pierce into my spirit, and then use his knowledge and ability to come from the inside out to transform me into an English professor, but that is exactly what Jesus does through the cross. Through the cross, Jesus takes the punishment for our failures. Jesus scratches out our name from the essay and puts his name on top of it and then scratches out his name from his essay and puts our name on top of it so that when we hand it in, we get his A-plus valedictorian, graduating with honors, getting all the scholarships, and he gets flunked out of school and ends up on the streets. He takes the punishment for our failure. We get the grace of his accomplishment and after that happens, after we're okay with God, the great provost of the university, and we're welcome to be students forever at his university, and we're welcomed by grace, after that happens, Jesus comes back from the dead and says, now I'm going to love you forever, and now I'm going to commit myself to transforming you, and now I'm going to be infinitely patient because I've already died for the worst of you, so whatever you throw at me from here on out isn't nearly as bad as what I already died for, so I'm going to love you, and I'm going to lead you, I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to train you, and I'm going to be your personal trainer every day of your life, even while you sleep from now until the eternity, and even after that, who knows? that he's the best teacher. To die for our failures so that he could truly transform us, he's the best teacher ever. Don't you want him to be your teacher? There's some really great teachers. Some of them may be in this room this morning. But even you know you can't die to save a student and still live to love and train them. And I think most teachers know that the biggest core issues of their students, nothing but Christ can really touch. And that's true for teachers from the pulpit. I can get up here and I can gesticulate, raise my voice and lower my voice and I can speak my stuff, but if you don't have Jesus, I can't help you. Not really. So you need Jesus. And I need Jesus. And the best news is is that if you come to him, he will never turn you away. He doesn't have an admission requirement besides, will you believe in me? 
And if the answer is yes, I will believe in you, then you're in. Amen? Now, I've been talking about teaching a lot, and some of you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, but you're just a teacher nerd, and so you're, you're, you're supposed to get up there and say teaching's important. It's like people who are, you know, mechanics are like, taking care of your car's important, and doctors are like, taking your vitamins are important, and, and whatever people do, they have to get up there and say things are important, right? So you've already got me figured out, and you can just tune out and turn on the Seinfeld reruns in your brain. You don't have to do that. But let me just take you that, because teaching is a missional thing. This is what I want to say. Jesus' teaching ministry is about mission. It's about changing the world. It's about going out and transforming nations and gathering disciples. At, during the Great Commission, what did Jesus say? He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make what of all nations? Which means... Well, student. That's right. Go and make students of all nations, teaching them. To obey me. So he's saying the Great Commission, the Great Commission is turn the world into my classroom where everyone's happy to be there. That's another way of rephrasing it. Go into all the world. You're all admissions specialists. You're signing people up for Jesus. You go into all the world and get people to be my disciples and you teach them how to obey me. And the only way we can do that is that if Jesus is our teacher and we're already on our way to obeying him, we're his students. And so we're not supposed to say, you be his student, but I don't want to be his student. I grew up in the church, so I know everything already. Um, so I'm fine. But you, we got to go get you into the school because you're messed up doesn't work. Go into all the world, make the world Jesus's student. So I'm trying to say this because this is a big deal to Jesus. He can talk about teaching, his teaching ministry as what the world needs. And we're supposed to teach people to believe in him, teach them about the cross and all its implications and how to live a life of being taught by Jesus daily. Amen? Wonderful. If you want to grow as a student of Jesus the teacher, I have four ideas about how you can do that. If you want to, and I hope you do, and in Jesus' name, please do, want to define yourself as a student of Jesus Christ, I have four ideas of how you can do this. And the first one is this. Read your Bible. Amen. You're already disappointed. It's like people always saying, read my Bible. Well, we mean it. Um, let me tell you about roundabout story. Jackie w- was telling me she was having a, a conversation with a, another mom. And the mom said to her, for no reason at all, my, mo- my son started doing this thing where he grabs his thumb and holds it until it turns purple. Did any of your kids ever do that? Okay. Just... Don't start doing it. I'm going to get in trouble if you start doing that. Anyhow, they grab it till you cut off the circulation. The blood flows in there, but it can't come out, and it starts changing colors. And over time, I'm sure it will start tingling and hurting. And then they were talking about how other kids sometimes will actually try to like hold their breath or choke themselves until they pass out. Have you ever been around? And I remember when I was at school, it was this thing when I was in, I think in grade five, where you would ask somebody to like press on your chest and and crush your diaphragm until you passed out. That was this thing that they would do for fun, for fun. 
Yay, kids. And guess what? All those people grew up, and now they're the doctors and lawyers and police officers and leaders of our generation. So, um, and what would happen if a teacher came by and these kids were, were playing pass out? They would say this. Stop it. What are you doing? Okay? You need to breathe to live. When you hear somebody say to you, read your Bible, what they're kind of saying is, I know you like to hold your breath till you pass out spiritually. Stop it. You, you need to breathe the word. You need to keep breathing in the word. Breathing in the word. You, you need this to live. You need the teachings of Jesus to live. And there's a reason to just be in the Bible constantly. It's because as you're just in the Bible and listening to Jesus and praying, Jesus, teach me, Jesus, teach me. I want to just learn from you. I'm committed to you. What happens is you kind of develop this second nature about being able to winnow when you're hearing things that aren't quite the Lord. Okay? Um, there's this occupation called being a chicken sexer. I'm really sorry for the name. I didn't invite it, but in, invent it. But it's a real thing. As far as I know, I was searching on the internet last night trying to... Um, uh, just confirm that this is true. I've heard it from other sources, and it looks like it's true. And when chickens are born, it's really good to find out right away whether the chicks are male or female. Because the females are good for laying eggs, and the males are good for nothing. <laughs> Pretty much. Almost. Right up there. Thank you, ladies. I didn't hear any amens or hallelujahs or anything like that. And so... Before they have to, like, feed these useless males... I'm just kicking myself already. Rob, you know there's, a com- there's going to be a soundbite someday. I'm going to hear somebody just quoting me. These useless males. These useless males. You said that. And um, Sorry, the internet. It's crazy Wild West. And uh, so anyhow, before you spend a lot of time feeding these male chicks that you're just going to... Um, eventually, most of them just end up getting thrown in the chicken equivalent of a wood chipper. Um, before you waste time feeding them, you want to find out if they're male or female and then just keep the females. And so what's really interesting is that there's this kind of Japanese technique, as far as I'm told, if this turns out to be a total bust, forgive me beforehand, but I did my best to confirm this, is that there's a way, there's kind of a way of just picking up a chick, looking at what you need to look at, and and you can tell if it's a, a male or female, and if it's a female, it goes here, and if it's a male, it goes here. Now, usually, you, you, can't, you, you can't just do this normally, but what they would do is they would set up a master of being able to do this in front of a student, and the student would just pick up a chick and kind of guess where they thought it went, male or female. And then the master would tell them if they were right. Pick it up. Mm, think it's a female. Wrong. Oh. Think it's a male. Wrong. Oh. I think it's a female. Right. Oh. Pick up a, I think it's a male. Right. Oh, and then they said it takes about three weeks of just getting an immediate response from somebody who knows. And then all of a sudden they've got these, these massive accuracy counts where they just be like, right, 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 wrong. Okay. Okay. But right, 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 right. Just, and if you ask them, what are you looking at? They'd be like, I don't really know. I just go with my gut. They can figure it out. But if you try to verbalize what they're looking at, they can't really do it. And there's something about just being listening to Jesus all the time. Saying, Jesus, you're my teacher. I'm just going to listen to you. Be in the Word. Be in the Word. Be listening to faithful teachers and be in the Word and be in the Word. You hear something or you read something on a blog or you hear something and you think, it doesn't quite sound like Jesus. I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm sure if I had time, I could figure it out. But the way they're talking, it doesn't sound like Jesus is their teacher. They're using his name a lot, but male. 
Somebody got it. There we go. Wood chipper. I don't need that. It really does happen. If you're in the Word, Jesus, I love you. I want to hear from you. Teach me. You, can, you start getting a sixth sense. It doesn't sound like the Lord. I'm going to have to check that out. Mail. Now, I'm talking about the words of Jesus here, and I want to just take a second. I know it's 1230, but this is important. I want to take a second, and I want to make the case for considering the entire New Testament as the words of Jesus, okay? Because sometimes when, when I'm saying the words of Jesus, people will just think, I'm just talking about the Gospels. Um, or there are some groups of people, some of them academics, some of them not academics, that really do just think, Jesus was real Christianity and the apostles messed it up. Sometimes they call themselves like red letter Christians or whatever. They just want to focus on what Jesus was focusing on and they don't want to get all bound up with those hang-ups that the apostles messed up. But that doesn't really work. All right, for two reasons. Number one, we don't have a gospel according to me. You ever notice that? We don't have a gospel according to Jesus. Jesus never sat down and wrote out his story. We don't have one word written down by Jesus that you could really say, those are the words of Jesus. What do we have? We have a gospel written by Matthew, who was one of Jesus' students. We have a gospel written by Mark and Luke, who are each students of Jesus. We have a gospel written by an apostle, John, who is a student of Jesus. And then we also have other things that the apostles wrote, namely Acts and the epistles and the Revelation. All we have is writings from the apostles. That's all we have. Sometimes when they wanted to say something, they would use Jesus' life story, and sometimes they would just write a letter focusing more on church issues. But all we have is the words of disciples. And so if somebody wants to say, I'm just going to stick with Jesus, we can think to ourselves, no, you can't. Because if you don't trust his disciples, you don't have Jesus. If you don't trust what his disciples reported about Jesus, you don't have Jesus. So if you want to eject the apostles, you lose the Gospels. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians says, I want you to know that my Gospel was not taught to me by man. It's not man's Gospel. I didn't get taught it by anybody. I learned it from a revelation from Jesus. And so while he's writing that letter, he's saying, my letter is of the same authority as anybody who might write the Gospels because I learned it from Jesus. Jesus, Paul was unusual. Most of the apostles had to actually walk with Jesus for three years or so to get trained. But Paul had a different mission. And so Jesus just came down from heaven and taught him the Gospel over who knows how long. We don't really know the details. But Paul is saying, I got my gospel from Jesus the same way as any of the other apostles got it directly from him. I didn't get it from anybody else. So if you want to divide these things up, you have to call the apostles liars eventually. And as soon as they're liars, forget it. Oh, I've got other good things to say, but I don't have time. But they're good things. You would have loved it. This next thing that I was going to say, you would have just been like, that was the highlight of the morning for me, but I don't have time. Too bad. See, aren't I a good teacher? I got everyone's attention back. Even though I've been talking for 40, 40 minutes already, it's like, you just Okay, number one, read your Bible. Number two, it wasn't that important. Number two, read your fruit. Okay? If you want to be a real student of Jesus, we need to learn to think like Jesus. And Jesus says that what matters is your heart, and the fruit of your life tells you what's going on in your heart. 
Okay, so that's what we need to think. We need to think, what's my life actually looking like? And if you want to know how your fruit is doing, ask your wife. How's my fruit, hun? And if she hesitates, it's not good. She might not want it to get into it right now. And if she's, she really doesn't want to talk about it, you probably have an anger issue. Just me. But you need to see how you're doing by your fruit, not your feelings. I'm doing fine. I had a great day. One scratch and win. 50 bucks. Lotto. Great day. Well, who cares? How's your heart really doing with the Lord? That's how you're doing. How's your fruit? That's, that's, that's what you are. That's how we were called to think about ourselves. Number three, if you want to be a student of Jesus, read your Bible, read your fruit, learn to read your culture. Learn to read what's going on around you. We live in a really interesting time when all the philosophies and all the religions of the world are smashing into each other all at once. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, thanks to Facebook, if, if a war is happening in Syria, you can get on-the-ground pictures from a 12-year-old on your Facebook page. And you get downloaded sermons from pastors and imams. If you want to, you can listen to a sermon from an imam. I don't know if they do them in English. You might have to pick up some Arabic. But you can do that. Thanks to the internet, all the philosophies and all the religions of the world are smashing into each other. And we need to learn how to figure out what's really being said and what's really going on. And learn to be discerning. We're students of Jesus, not everybody else. We're committed to him. He's our teacher, not everybody else. So here's a little thought experiment for you to do at home. Um, there, there's a movie coming out called The Shack, which was a book. Really popular. I know. Well, hey, don't let... You've you got to watch out. When I mention movies, you've got you to watch out. What's he going to do? Because this one time I talked about Star Wars and I lost some friends. Okay? It's just me. Okay? Star Wars is great, really fun. The problem is the Force. The, the, the Force works just as hard for the evil dudes as he does for the good guys, which means there are no good guys. There's just people fighting, and some of them look nicer. Okay? The bad guys usually have these like nasty voices and ugly skin, and that's how you know they're evil. But the Force works for those guys the same way as he works for the good guys, which means that they live in a universe that is constantly at war and God doesn't care, which is a picture of hell. That's my only problem. But other than that, Chewbacca is awesome. The Ewoks are super cute. And everybody wishes they had one of those repulsor bikes. Right? So there you go. Last time I talked about a movie, Lost and Friends. Here we go with the shack. If you look at a poster of the shack, you'll see four characters on the front. You'll see a uh, Middle Eastern-looking guy, a Caucasian-looking guy, an African-American-looking woman, and an Asian-looking woman. And three of those individuals are members of the Trinity. Here's my question. Did Jesus teach us to think about God like that? That's my question. And if Jesus is our teacher, how does that impact what we think? I'll just leave that with you. There's your homework. Finally, we need to learn to read our troubles. Read your Bible, read your fruit, read your culture, and read your troubles. It's human nature when things get hard, to assume that God's abandoned you. Anybody ever done that before? You're hurting, maybe physical pain. Physical pain is actually the easy one. One of the best experiences of my life was passing a kidney stone. I connected with Jesus so well in that hospital bed. Plus, I got to listen to almost the entire Chronicles of Narnia. It was wonderful, except for the pain and the nausea every time I sat up. Physical pain is not too bad. Emotional strife, relational strife, they are the worst, okay? 
self-esteem strife, if you want to call it like that, is just so, like personal identity strife, so painful. And human nature is to think, God's abandoned me. When the truth is, is that Jesus has just started your next lesson. You may remember Peter. The night before Peter, Jesus was crucified, he takes Peter aside and says, Peter, this is Jesus whose words judge the world, whose words can't be broken. Peter, you're about to deny me. What is, what's Peter's response? No way. Even if I have to die or cut off a, some guy's ear, no way, never going to happen. Okay, so this is one of those tricks. Like, what would have happened if he said, really? But he, so he rejects it, and then the building your house on the sand effect hits Peter. Jesus says, you're going to fall away from me. And Peter says, I'm not going to build my life on what you just said. And what happens? Total collapse. Runs away during the fight, um, denies knowing Jesus in front of the servant girl, even is watched by Jesus denying him. Luke tells us that when Peter finished the third time saying, I don't know him, God curse me if I know him, Jesus looks up and said, gives him the told you so eyeballs. And Peter is destroyed destroyed, destroyed, just totally destroyed, goes out and weeps bitterly. Um, But Jesus comes back and reinstates Peter, makes him chief apostle again. Okay, worst moment of Peter's life, teacher Jesus in effect. Jesus started it, Jesus was in the middle of it, Jesus repaired at the end of it. Okay, welcome to being a Christian. We're always in Jesus' school. Worst moments of your life, Jesus is teaching. You think, I don't want to think like that, Rob. This is, this is my issue. The greatest thing that ever happened was that the Son of God was crucified painfully, including torture and personal rejection. This is the greatest thing that ever happened. And when Jesus calls people to follow him and to be his students, he says to us, pick up your cross, which is the same thing he was killed with. He's saying, my school has a lot of rough wood and hard angles in it. So when we're hurting, we need to learn to hurt, read our troubles. Jesus is trying to heal us. Jesus is trying to teach us. Jesus is trying to set us free. And if we do this to that, there's going to be a lot of sand underneath our foundation. And hopefully no rain in the forecast. Amen? So I would love to invite the band to come up while I'm doing this. Will you have Jesus to be the teacher of your life? Not just Sunday mornings. Not, just, not, not compartmentalized in any way. The teacher of your life. Will you take Jesus to be the one who tells you what to think? This is what he says. If you'll receive my words in faith, build your life upon it, your house will stand now and forever. So my call for you this morning, Calvary Chapel, is to say about yourself, I am a student of Jesus Christ. And may the Lord teach me well. Father, I thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for my family here. Father, you know that um, it has been so painful many times for me to get to this place. And I've got so much farther to go, but to get to this place where it's like, 
Yes, Jesus, I want to believe everything you say no matter what. Father, I've had to die to myself so many times. And Father, I know that this isn't an easy call. When Jesus calls someone to follow him, he bids them come and die. But Jesus, you're the best teacher ever. God, you have loved me in ways I cannot begin to verbalize. Jesus, you have seen the depths of my soul into dark areas that I refuse to even look at myself. And you've seen it and loved me and brought it into light, given me grace, walked through changing it. Thank you so much for the best teacher. Father, I pray that each one of us here who accepts Jesus as our teacher would, would accept how merciful and gracious you are with other people. That even as we get more and more convinced in the truth of your words, we wouldn't become rougher and gruffer with other people. But we would become students of the cross. Realize that the highest calling in life really is to hurt for your enemy's good. And more than anything, Jesus, would you just teach us how much God loves us? This is what we need. And amen.